Well, hello everyone. I'm your host, Cindy Ketzel. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. In this podcast, we team up with experts to bring you the best in HR, talent management, and business strategy. I always love to hear from you all. So if you do have any recommendations or suggestions for topics, shoot us a note at podcasts at hci.org. So I'm really excited. You guys, this is a really timely topic. We're going to be talking about skills-based talent planning today. And we've got Jason Serrato. He is with Eightfold AI. He's the VP Market Strategy. But let me tell you a little bit more about him. He's focused on the capabilities of Eightfold's comprehensive talent intelligence platform and the future of work. Before Eightfold, he was with Gartner as a senior research director focusing on HR technology and transformation. He has extensive experience in talent acquisition spent more than a decade with United Technologies Corporation, which is now called RTX, if you're familiar. He was a senior director of talent acquisition there, served as the work stream owner for recruiting and onboarding for an enterprise-wide global HR transformation initiative. Oh, that's super cool, Jason. He has a master's degree in human resource development. Hey, I have a master's degree in the same and received the Global Fellow in Talent Management Certification from the Talent Management Institute and the Wharton School of Business. And I just learned this new little tip about Jason. So you all listen in for his podcast. They're just getting ready to kick off a second season. He co-hosts the New Talent Code podcast, great title, which provides insights and open discussion with industry leaders on all things talent and HR tech. Wow, Jason. I mean, do you sleep? Do you have a chance to sleep during all of this? You've been a busy person. Yeah, it's great to be here, Cindy. Thank you so much for the introduction. When I hear you say it, it sounds like a different person. I guess I've done all those things. You have. And isn't it sometimes good for other people to read that aloud and for you to hear it? You can't see it, but I'm blushing. But yeah, it sounds sounds great. Oh, well, we're so happy to have you with us today. And seriously, I'm really enamored at your history. You've done some really cool things, but I'm most excited. And I know that everything you've done has led you to this point, but most excited for our conversation today. I mentioned to our audience We're going to talk about skills-based talent planning. And I think to level set, Jason, it would be helpful. Can you kind of give us, what are we saying skills-based talent planning is differently than what we would call traditional talent planning methods? Give us that baseline so we know what we're talking about here. Sure. I think when we talk about skills-based talent planning, you know, there is the qualifier. It's skills-based. So traditional talent planning often includes things like headcount and cost and demand, but it's all based on a lot of understanding of jobs and understanding of need, where if you add an additional lens through talent intelligence to understand skills and you incorporate skills intelligence, You can begin to understand your workforce and the actual work that will be needed 
in addition to and beyond some of those traditional inputs. So you're using more than just job titles or headcount or cost or demand. You're actually looking at, well, what are the skills that are involved with the work that we're planning for? And how do we understand the audience for those skills? And how do we understand the work that's at hand, maybe in some of these job titles or roles? Because the work is changing so fast and is so dynamic that maybe those job titles and those job descriptions are less and less reliable for where we're going in the future. You know, a couple of things pop to mind. One is you are absolutely right. And if you think about organizations and you've probably, with your experience, you've probably either peripherally been a part of this or been a part of this, the work to do job titles, descriptions, competencies, that is in a huge overhaul in a lot of organizations. So I love that you're saying, hey, this person might have this job title, but the skill set is this. And that's really what we need to be paying attention to. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's really understanding in real time, what are the skills that you have within your organization? What are the skills that people have on your team? And then what are the skills that are required for the work that needs to be done? And increasingly, and in many cases, it may be work, which is work. <laughs> you know, it's a project, it's a task, it's an exercise. It may not always be a job or a job title. And it may be something where you're trying to deploy a team of people towards this effort. And this starts to, you know, decouple itself from jobs and job titles and hierarchies and departments. It's really about the agility to get the work done. It's amazing. We teach at HCI, I don't know if you're familiar, but we teach a strategic workforce planning course. And so much of that course, our model is set up to understand exactly what you're saying. What does our organization need in the future? Where are we now? What skills do we have now? What are our gaps and how do we fill that? And I feel like with what you're doing starts to close that gap right? You're already getting a leg up. Exactly what you're saying. What do we need to continue to thrive as an organization in terms of skills? I mean, it's basically through the power of where the technology has developed and the capability of AI and skills intelligence, you're able to track a moving target on both ends of the conversation, right? The work that people are doing and the skills that they're using are changing at a rapid pace. At the same time, our job titles and our job descriptions aren't keeping up, and we've had many of the same job descriptions for some time. So through you know digital transformation, now influencing talent transformation, you're able to track a moving target and see both ends of the conversation. And the other thing is that we're changing and shifting the supply and demand conversation as well. When you do this through the lens of jobs and more specifically people to jobs, you're looking at the supply and demand of a one-to-one -one ratio. How many people do I have for how many openings I have? If you break it down a level further and you look at your understanding of skills and your understanding of jobs in the framework of work, that's now no longer a one-to-one, -one, it's a many to much right? And it gives you that agility to say, well, what are all the skills that we have that may not be being utilized today that we can tap into and redeploy into this area? And maybe if we get this work done, it's done in the flow of everything else we're doing. And it's not 
actually a full job or a full role, or at the same time, we're utilizing people to their full extent. Because I always say, if you have a team of 10 people and you're utilizing 80% of what they can do, you really have a team of eight. Well, you took the words right out of my mouth. And I know talking career development is a whole nother topic, but it is part and parcel with this. But that's exactly what I was thinking is we talk so much about how development doesn't have to be to another level. It can be about utilizing the skills that people have, tapping into that and kind of giving folks a stretch opportunities to do other, like you said, work, work to be done, but utilizing their skills. So this is great. I knew this was going to be a fun conversation, Jason. I love it. So here's my question then. What strategies or tools are we using or what's out there for us to attract and acquire top talent with those required skills? Because organizations are looking for long-term success. So what are they using? I mean, well, obviously, top of mind is a tool like Eightfold, but there are a lot of tools that are out there these days trying to fill the need to address these challenges in some way, shape, or form. You know, you could be using labor market intelligence that's giving you some semblance of an understanding of what's happening in the market. You could be using other tools like building out skills inventories and skills taxonomy. I think the way we address the conversation is a little bit of an all-of-the-above strategy. You know, we incorporate labor intelligence and market insights, but we also incorporate an understanding of skills that isn't just, you know, a static taxonomy. It really is what we refer to as a dynamic skills framework. And then when you're incorporating AI in a platform where people are also operating and doing things like talent acquisition and talent management, you're learning from the use of the tool as you go. So this becomes this dynamic understanding of skills in real time that not only is gaining an understanding of the data that comes from the organization itself, but it also always has an eye to what's happening more broadly and even specifically within your industry. So it provides a greater understanding of what is needed, but also it gives the individual interacting with this technology and with these tools more context to make more informed decisions with kind of what's needed next compared to maybe what had been done historically. Amazing. So teams within organizations are now choosing skills-based talent planning. Like you have to assemble teams. You have to know the technology. You have to be able to build out the strategy, right? Like, is it fairly new for organizations to have teams that are focused, not focused on skills, but to the extent that you're sharing? Is that new or... I don't think it's relatively new, but I think much like anything else in the world, everything is evolving very quickly. And what's happening is through the incorporation of tools like AI and talent intelligence, this is shifting from being a sporadic or a cyclical exercise to something that's being able to be done continuously, right, in real time. So there's that element of it. But also, I think, in part, one of the things that's also happening that is both an evolution and a challenge is a lot of the tools we've used historically and a lot of the processes and programs that we've had in place have always kind of been built around the job. And, you know, with the requisition in an HR system kind of acting as the cornerstone, you have the requisition, you get all the job details, and then you read and react from there and go to work and fill that job. And I think with some of the capabilities that we have now, you're kind of shifting that center of gravity and becoming more focused around the talent 
And if you think about it, what does it mean to be a skills-based organization? Well, skills reside and live within talent, right? They're a description of a job, but they don't live and reside within a job. They reside within a person, within talent. So once you start to have better technology that can track the work that someone is doing in real time or the work that someone has expressed an interest in doing going forward, you have kind of a different North Star to try to read and react and guide your processes forward. And when you incorporate things like, you know, a market understanding and industry insights on top of that, like I said, you're more equipped to have that agility to read and react to the future. Because one of the things that's happening is it's not enough to have a plan. You have to have various scenarios because everything's changing so fast. You know, every plan in and of itself is at risk of not formulating to what we see when we move forward. So the ability to have multiple plans that account for a variety of scenarios that are driven by a real-time understanding of skills and the capability of your workforce allows you to plan for what those jobs or what those roles may be in the future, even if you don't know what they are. So one of the things around kind of skills-based talent planning and how is it different is from my perspective, you look and you inquire and you search for an understanding of skills and how that maps to the audience of talent you have today. And you work from there proactively in a way that ultimately results in a requisition rather than starts with a requisition. I love it. And again, you're speaking my language when we teach our strategic workforce planning class. That's exactly what we talk about is thinking about futuring, right? Or those scenarios for the future and what skills might be needed, what might it look like and thinking about the environment and social, political, like everything that's going on. So you're really speaking my language here. What would you say? Because I feel like we've done a really nice job of talking about a lot of the benefits and the evolution What would you say in terms of key challenges or barriers that organizations are facing if they are trying to move in this direction of focused on that skills-based planning versus traditional planning? I think a lot of people hear the words talent planning and they immediately think of headcount and cost. And yes, they're important to monitor and there'll always be variables. And as a contributor and strategic business partner, you have to do what's best for the business. But part of this is also shifting the mindset of doing what's best for the talent in real time. So that way you could potentially redeploy or upskill or repurpose and some of the traditional outcomes or levers that come from a headcount and cost based approach may be very different if you can proactively guide talent into the areas where the business needs it. And maybe it's not always an exercise of growth or reduction, but instead kind of redeployment and upskilling. So I think the first part is kind of reframing the conversation. I think, as I said, the second part is understanding that a lot of your leading data is going to come from your talent and from the market. And a lot of your historic job data is just that. It's historic, so it's lagging. So you have to have this kind of combination of data to give you the full understanding of what's happening in real time to have that nimbleness to react to it. Absolutely. So perhaps opinion, perhaps data-driven, do you sense that, as you said, that mindset when we hear talent planning and going to headcount and costs and finance and all of that traditional way of thinking, that to you, that's what's keeping organizations from taking the next step is they just can't get out of their own way? 
not that they can't get out of their own way. I just think there's a reflex and an instinct to try to, you know, manage the data and steer the data and control the process. And really what this technology and what AI allows people to do is to kind of read the environment and read and react in real time, right? So it's not a data management strategy. It's more of a data governance strategy. And you need to allow the technology and allow the intelligence to work in a way where it surfaces some type of insight or recommendation, because if you try to steer it and manage it and map and tag everything too much, you're just repeating what you already know versus trying to understand what it's uncovering for you that you may not have been paying attention to. Yeah. And I think that is also exactly what you just said is probably also the tricky part. We lose control. It might feel like you lose a little bit of control, but that's where that data governance can come in. You know, you mentioned in that long introduction that I had a stint as an analyst at Gartner. I have a couple of colleagues there who have tried to describe this change and this new way of thinking as HR and talent leaders coming to learn to embrace the chaos, right? So just because something isn't 100% known or 100% factual or 100% real yet, there is value in what the data may be telling you. So if it's 88%, 92%, 96% accurate, there's still relevance to that helping you understand what's happening in your environment in real time. And we're always trying to work towards perfection. And a big part of this is allowing the technology to do what it does and, as they say, embrace the chaos. Because at the end of the day, we're not removing the individual from this. The individual still has to make a decision, but this is giving them more information to make a decision from. Yeah, so much more insight. But you nailed it. I was saying there's a feeling of a loss of control, and you are exactly saying it. What your friends from Gartner colleagues are saying is that embracing the chaos. I mean, that's where the rubber is meeting the road. What can organizations do or companies do to assess and evaluate? So if we're saying, hey, get with us on this evolution, move with us, move forward, What can companies do to effectively assess and evaluate the skills of their employees to start looking for those gaps and perhaps development opportunities? What can they do? It's a great question. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of discussion in the market of things that are driven for employees, like career navigation and, you know, personalized career paths and more of this moving around the organization with internal mobility. I think from an organizational perspective, this is the other side of the mirror, right? We now have tools that'll help employees with understanding opportunities in an organization and maybe understanding how their skills map to potential career paths and opportunities within this organization. This is now the other side of that understanding where now talent leaders and people that are owning these processes and programs for their organization can combine that understanding of their employee base and what their employees may be interested in doing with what's happening in their industry and where their business may be heading and trying to make those two futures meet somewhere ahead. So I now have a better understanding of what my people can do and what they're interested in doing. And I have a better understanding of what my business may need to compete Now, as a talent leader, I can shift to truly becoming a talent advisor and make those two things meet somewhere where they align. Whereas we know we often have a plan. It doesn't always end up arriving where we needed it to arrive. This kind of keeps track of the navigation of those audiences together. So they're more likely to be in the same place when it's needed. 
you know, I'm listening to you and I'm still putting the pieces together, right? The skill set of those HR teams, like as we think about what they were 10 years ago, five years ago, you know, three years ago, those are going to continue to evolve because if organizations are moving in this direction, even those folks that are in that talent acquisition, talent management space have to know to do these things. I mean, data, data is just going to be more and more part of your role. Yeah, you bring up a good point. Just look at selfishly how the HR function is changing rapidly how all of our jobs are changing, how the way we get our work done is changing, how the work that's being asked of us is changing. Now, let's extend that to say, well, what about all the other parts of the business that HR supports? So whether it's talent acquisition or talent management or succession planning or promotions or mobility, like our job is changing. At the same time, all of those roles and jobs are changing. So that is why you need these dynamic frameworks and this rapid understanding powered by things like AI to now be a tool in your toolkit, just because, like I said, we are living in dynamic times where business cycles are getting shorter and faster and, you know, the increments of change are getting broader and wider, faster and faster. So this just speaks to, you know, think about how much our HR jobs are changing, but now we need to understand how much those other jobs that we're supporting are changing in real time. Which is a perfect lead into a next thought that I had, and that's just around that whole idea of just employee development. You know, my brain is still like cycling around what this means for our teams in the HR function. But yes, it extends down into our workforce, too. So what role does that ongoing employee development play in skills-based talent planning? Yeah. So for example, one of my favorite features of the Eightfold offering is an offering we have called career navigation and career planning. And basically an employee who has a living, breathing profile that's updating dynamically with their skills as they accomplish things, as they work, as they take training. So we now have a more comprehensive understanding of who that individual is and they have a better understanding of who they are and what they've done. This allows them to build a plan of where can I take my skills in this organization and where can they potentially go? And in our platform, it's driven through skills mapping and an understanding of skills to say, based off of what you're able to achieve and what we know these skills could also potentially learn going forward, here are all the places you could potentially go within this organization. And that experience is not driven by a hierarchical career ladder that says from here to there. It's driven by an understanding of skills to say, here are all the places your skills could be used, and it may bring a variety of different career paths, maybe in a variety of different functions. You know, when you look at the other side of this, one of the aha moments for a lot of people that lead talent programs is when they take a skills-based view of their organization, they may find we had this audience of people working in HR and this audience of people working in IT and over here in finance and over here in operations that were all doing a relatively similar job that had very different job titles and very different job descriptions. And we never realized that their work was very comparable. So now we are opening up career paths for these people to potentially move around the organization, but also 
they now are able to identify each other and create a cohort where they can learn from each other for how they do this very similar work aimed at a different function of the organization. So when you use skills as this kind of linkage and this skill mapping, not only can people find broader opportunities within the organization, but you can also unlock audiences of untapped talent for a variety of future needs as if you're a talent leader. And I'm making this as an assumption, and I always tell my analytics class, you know, we have to move away from talking in assumptions and opinion and use data. And that is true. But I think about my nieces and nephews, right? They're entering, well, high school and college and leaving college. And, you know, there are next folks in the workforce. And I just keep thinking about how their opportunities will be so opened as organizations adopt this practice that they'll join an organization, but they'll get what they want, i.e., I want to try to do this, then I want to do this, I want to continue to grow, I want to continue to learn. And so my brain, as you're saying this, goes back to my assumption point, there has to be some connection to retention with making this so much easier on the employee and the employer. Yeah. I mean, one of the ways that I try to articulate this is what we're able to do is we're able to examine talent through a deeper lens. And when you start a talent acquisition and you move from job descriptions to work to skills, you shift over to talent management and you move from performance and promotions to mobility. From diversity, equity, and inclusion, you shift from job requirements to skill requirements to capability and learnability. But I think you've touched on kind of the last leg of the stool here, employee experience and retention. You know, we've had a lot of discussion around, you know, what is someone's experience at work? And we've done employee engagement surveys to try to get at sentiment, right? In the last few years with digital transformation and hybrid and remote, we've been trying to get at what is someone's experience with work, right? Do they have all the tools they need? How are they able to get their job done remotely or asynchronously? And I think now when we start to look at skills and utilization, you can really get at people's experience from work right? What is the meaning that I'm able to derive from how I contribute to the organization? And does the organization know everything I have to offer? And am I actually applying the skills I'm most interested in developing here? And how does that make me feel about working here? So I think all of this gives us an added level of understanding and dimension to start to apply strategy. I'm excited to watch organizations you know, move in this direction if they haven't already. I think it's amazing. It's a great way to think about business and being a thriving, healthy organization, right? People that are uniquely skilled to do things around our organization, we can now tap into those skills and make sure they're in the right place. And, you know, you mentioned my time as an HR practitioner and talent leader. And when I was in those roles, I started to see this shift from TA and TM and DE&I and employee experience being siloed to now coming together to be a comprehensive systemic talent function, right? And now what this is doing is it's doing the same thing with a lot of our tools and processes and practices. And what you're doing in talent acquisition is informing what you're doing in talent management, is helping what you're doing in DE&I, and it's all coming together with a better experience. So step by step, little by little, but increasingly faster and faster, we're building a new HR function for the future of work. That's right. It's another paradigm shift. You know, I think about back when strategic HR business partner, right? Like I think that was a couple of decades ago and I just recently had a conversation with 
somebody not too long ago about the fear, right? When we were making that shift and what was going to happen to people's roles. But to your point, you know, we have to embrace the chaos with what you're sharing. And so there may still be some of that fear associated, but I see this as just such a more efficient way to meet the needs and the business results of an organization. I mean, it has to be. Well, I won't go as far as to say it's easy, but it is proactive and it's informative. And there still is a decision to be made, but now you have more information to make the decision. And people are able to move around. I think that's just really is the cherry on the top for me, that mobility. And just to say is there's this shift from cyclical and annual to now continuous. So to that extent, the technology and the AI has made that part of this easier to keep up with the change and to track the change in real time. That has become easy. Yeah. And thank you for saying that. You're absolutely right. Easier is not a great word for it, but efficient or to be a healthy, thriving organization. This is just a great feather in the cap to move in that direction. Correct. So succession planning, right? Leadership development. This has all got to come into play for that too. If we're thinking about high potentials or high performing and folks that we want to really retain, this certainly comes into play for that as well, I'm assuming. So for us, the way we think about it and the way we approach succession planning is when we meet with organizations, and I've done a ton of webinars and podcasts about this, and when we survey them and ask them to take polls, we say, you know, how often do you engage in succession planning? And most often it's still very cyclical or annual in nature. And then we say, you know, how much of the organization do you touch in your succession planning processes? And typically it's, you know, the C-suite down to maybe senior managers, or sometimes it's just maybe the top 200 or whatever the cutoff is. When we apply our capability and technology to this conversation, we allow organizations to do this at scale for all roles, but it also takes a different look. It's no longer just traditional succession planning. It also becomes this kind of concept of skills-based role readiness. What are the skills that are needed? Who has these skills that could be considered? How are you building a bigger and deeper and broader bench? Right. And how are you tracking this audience for consideration beyond just the people that are already on the team or the people that, you know, you have proximity to? So, you know, what this capability does is it allows it to set kind of a broader net to create a bigger audience for consideration, but also do it at a depth and at a scale in the organization where you're possible to identify things like emerging skills and skill prevalence. Because if you're looking for what are the newest skills that are most emerging and most in demand for the future, they're probably surfacing in places your traditional succession planning isn't reaching. Do you see that with this shift that organizations, because as I've been in the learning and development field for well over two decades, and there's typically, you know, we're in, we're out, we're in, we're out, you know, it's just sure. kind of the way it is. Do organizations that are starting to move in this direction, do they need to have a learning and development arm in order to keep up with, like you were talking about, if there are skill gaps, if we have a ready now versus a ready later, I mean, to help fill, you know, to continue to grow our workforce? Or is it more of a self-directed, I find my own path and my own way to learn and 
what have you, or is it a, maybe an, it depends. So you mentioned how we both have a similar background. I think the L and D part of this will always be there. I think you need the scaffolding and the structure to set people up for success. However, it is personalized recommendations that are automated in real time and help allowing the person to drive, you know, the experience at their own pace as needed, which we know is more effective. If you took a training course, you know, and at a later date, try to apply those skills, it's not as effective as learning the skills in the moment, you know, in real time as needed. But I also think it's understanding kind of how this aligns to what is best for the individual's career based off of what the business needs. You know, in learning and development, there was this historic angle and focus on compliance, your safety training, your medical training, your IT training, your ethics training. And then we had this shift more towards, you know, experience and personalization and things of interest and all these extracurricular things that you can learn to develop yourself. I think where this is going now is how do we account for those things in a way where we're expanding people's capability and we're interesting them, but we're also giving them things that are aligned with what our business needs going forward. I always used to say, you know, we'll give you one training that you take for the company and one training that you take for yourself, right? Here's the requirement and here's the extracurricular. And we're trying to expand the interest in people taking training. Now, I think we're trying to align the training that they're taking into what they're interested in in their career and what the business needs going forward. What a cool time to be part of an HR function. I mean, again, maybe a little embrace the chaos, but just some really neat things happening. I love it. Lastly, you know, you mentioned this earlier, Jason, and I would be remiss if I didn't come back to it. Another super important need for organizations or recognition for organizations around, you know, diversity and inclusion. So how will something like skills-based talent planning help organizations in that space? So a couple of things, and I know we've already touched on it, but I'll try to summarize it. The first one is from an employee perspective, it creates better visibility and transparency to the things that they could potentially do in an organization. So hopefully less and less in the future, we will hear things like, I didn't know what jobs I could apply for. I didn't know what opportunity there was for me. You know, hopefully we're doing away with that conversation and it becomes more clear with where I can go in this organization. That's the first part. The second part is from the people making the decisions, you're now using an additional set of criteria to start to build that audience for consideration. Right. So it's no longer just who's done this job before or who is in the job ladder or who's already on the team. It's who across the organization and potentially who across our talent network have skills that could be considered for this that we should start to take a look at. And it may not just be existing skills. It may be the ability to learn a skill relatively easily, or it may be an adjacent skill that expands the audience for consideration. So all of this through expanding the audience increases opportunity, increases inclusion, and as a result has the opportunity to increase diversity. I think one of the things that I like about our approach with our technology is we never limit choice. Right? We never say, here's the one person you should look at gift wrapped in a box with a bow. Right? Our technology is actually designed to expand the audience and expand the choice and give you all the rationale for why these additional people should be considered. And then ultimately, the individual has the context to make the appropriate decision. 
But through all of that, you have the opportunity to support more transparent, more democratized, more inclusive talent practices. And at the same time, through tools like talent planning or even just end-to-end analytics, you have the ability to see the outcomes and to see the process end-to-end. So I know there's a lot of people that are looking at incorporating AI or thinking about utilizing AI. And one of the things that people are coming to grips with isn't just what it does, it's how much it actually shows and makes visible and increases transparency. And there are some people that are just as worried about that. Now we can see everything we do, right? So with that comes the benefit of it, but also the consideration for this is kind of the future of where HR is going. How do we manage this process end to end? I knew I was excited to have this conversation, but I did not imagine what I was going to learn. So Thank you. Like this is such a wonderful topic. I've always believed in this. I look at people, I see skills, right? That's always how I've kind of defined what my development with other people looks like. But you taught me a whole heck of a lot. And I'm sure that for our listeners, just the same. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Jason. Appreciate the invite. It's been a wonderful conversation. I could talk about this stuff all day. Well, You get to, because you have your own podcast. (laughs) You get to talk about some of this stuff anyways. You all, don't forget, Jason has a podcast out there. So uh, tune in and listen in as they start working on their second season as well. All right, Nine to Thrive listeners. Again, email podcast at hci.org if you have any great suggestions for topics or guests. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you are listening on, for example, Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating. Your rating helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover our program. For Nine to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, we appreciate you for tuning in. Make it a great day, everyone.